Welcome to Music History Monday for April 10th, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is A Mama's Boy and Proud of It. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the premiere on April 10th, 1868, 155 years ago today, of Johannes Brahms's magnificent A German Requiem for vocal soloists, chorus, and orchestra. Johannes Brahms, again? I know I've been going heavy on Brahms, 1833 to 1897, as of late. I would apologize if he wasn't so fascinating a person and if his music wasn't so darned good. But he was a fascinating person and his music is superb, so our continued attention is well deserved. It's not as if we didn't have other topical options for this date. For example, on this date in 1970, 53 years ago today, Paul McCartney officially announced the split-up of the Beatles. Okay, whatever. If there's one topic that's gotten more play here in Music History Monday than Bach, Brahms, and Beethoven combined, it's the fourth B, the Beatles. The breakup of the Beatles? Sorry, but yawn. The Wilhelm Scream. Then there's this. April 10th, 1921 marks the birth, 102 years ago today, of the American singer, songwriter, actor, and comedian Shelby Frederick Sheb Woolley in Erick, Oklahoma. He died in Nashville, Tennessee, on September 16, 2003, at the age of 82. For the vast majority of us who do indeed remember him, Woolley is best known for his 1958 rock and roll comedy single, The Purple People Eater, which he wrote in a matter of minutes and which sat at number one on Billboard's Hot Pop chart for six weeks between June 9th and July 14th, 1958. The so-called official video is linked. But for those in the know, which is about to include all of us, Woolley's greatest contribution to Western culture is not the purple people eater, but rather something called the Wilhelm Scream. Here's the scoop. Among his various roles as an actor, Sheb Woolley made an uncredited appearance as one Private Jessup in a 1951 Gary Cooper movie called Distant Drums. At one point during the movie, a company of soldiers is fleeing through the Florida Everglades pursued by a pack of Seminole Indians. Several soldiers die during the chase, including one who emits a blood-curdling scream 
as he is dragged underwater to his death by an alligator. That scream is linked. The scream was created and recorded by none other than Sheb Woolley, and it has long outlived him. Woolley's screeching soundbite got its name when it was used again in 1953 in the movie The Charge at Feather River, when a character named Private Wilhelm got hit in the thigh with an arrow. The now so-called Wilhelm scream became part of Hollywood's stock sound library, and as such, it went on to be used often multiple times in a single film, in hundreds of movies, TV shows, and video games, including the Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Kill Bill, Toy Story, Cars, The Incredibles, and Lethal Weapon franchises, Reservoir Dogs, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Fifth Element, Breaking Bad, The Simpsons, The X-Files, The Mandalorian. The list goes on and on. I offer up two video links. The first one features what Watch Mojo considers the 10 best Wilhelm screams. And the second link features literally hundreds of Wilhelm screams, that is, the same scream as recorded by Sheb Woolley in 1951 over the course of its 12 minutes and 22 seconds. Maestro Woolley, yours is a cinematic legacy of which to be proud. We transition. Okay, enough screaming. We proceed to Johannes Brahms and a German Requiem. For your information, the remainder of this post and tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes is going to constitute a twofer, as Dr. Bob Prescribes will pick up where today's Music History Monday leaves off. Now, for those of you listening to this as a podcast, God bless you. I love you. But know that for just pennies a day, you can subscribe to my Patreon site, where you can read tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes and revel in the end of the story. Think about it. Johannes Brahms, such a good boy. We concluded last week's Music History Monday post on the death of Johannes Brahms with the following postscript. Johannes Brahms remains, in many ways, the least known major composer of the last 200 years. For all his extroversion, he rarely revealed much of himself to anyone, much less posterity. He kept no journal or diary or daybook. He gave few interviews and wrote no autobiography or reminiscences. He was a hard man to know, and as an adult, he was a difficult man to get along with. His friend, Louise Jaffa, said that Brahms was, quote, sehr erbe im Wesen, unquote, very harsh, bitter, acrid in nature. Yes, almost everyone who knew Brahms agreed that underneath his prickly exterior, he had that proverbial heart of gold. 
But in dealing with them on a day-to-day -day basis, one rarely got beneath the surface. And that surface was, much of the time, very harsh, bitter, and acrid in nature. And apparently, that's how Brahms wanted it. However, we would now, today, further observe that for all his existential crankiness, Brahms adored his family. He was a loving and generous son and brother, and truth be told, a genuine mama's boy. Childhood. Brahms's father, Johann Jakob Brahms, 1806-1872, was born in the seaport hamlet of Brunsbüttel, roughly 45 miles northwest of Hamburg. In 1826, approaching the age of 20, Jakob Brahms moved to Hamburg. That's the free city of Hamburg, for centuries part of the Hanseatic League, with a population then of around 200,000. It was, and it remains, the largest port city in Germany. It is known in particular for its rain, fog, and mud. Hamburg's weather, wrote a visitor in 1783, is, quote, damp and cold most days of the year, just like most of the people, unquote. Johann Jakob Brahms's great ambition was to earn fame and fortune as a professional musician. More ambitious than talented, success eluded him. He fiddled and played horn in the waterfront dives of Hamburg's notorious red light district. On June 9, 1830, he married. Brahms's mother, Johanna Henrika Christian Nissen, 1789-1865, was a small, plain, sickly, slightly disabled, one leg was shorter than the other, spinster, 41 years of age at the time of her marriage, making her 17 years older than her husband. But she was intelligent and articulate. She had blue eyes, was a fine seamstress, and an excellent cook. Nevertheless, she was so shocked to be courted by the young and attractive Johann Jakob Brahms that when he first began coming around, she thought someone was playing a practical joke on her. In 1833, the couple moved into a rundown apartment house on Spexgong, Bacon Lane, in a squalid slum known as the Lane Quarter. The locals called it Adulterer's Walk, a gnarly tangle of dark streets and passages crowded with sailors, dance halls, and brothels. It was into this entirely Dickensian environment that Johannes Brahms was born on May 7, 1833. Brahms's mother was 44 years old when he was born. Pretty impressive when you consider the only way to get pregnant in those days was the old analog method. Brahms had two siblings, an older sister, Elizabeth, known as Elise, 1831 to 1892, and a younger brother, Friedrich, or Fritz, 
1835 to 1886, who was born when his mom was 46 years old. Nicknamed Hannes, it was expected as a matter of course that our Brahms would follow his father's trade as a musician. At four, he began lessons on the violin, cello, and the horn. At seven, the piano. Within a year, by the age of eight, it was apparent that Brahms's potential as a pianist was extraordinary. But what the eight-year-old Johannes Brahms really wanted was composition lessons. His parents and piano teacher could not have been less encouraging. A decent pianist could always make a buck, but a composer? <laughs> well, forget about it. Finally, at the age of 11, Brahms's parents and his piano teacher, a well-known local pedant named Eduard Markson, 1806-1887, relented and agreed to composition and theory lessons. Markson began giving the boy basic lessons in music theory and composition along with his piano lessons. The results were instant and dramatic. Writing years later, Edward Markson recalled what happened. Quote, when I started teaching him composition, he exhibited a rare acuteness of mind which enchanted me, and insignificant though his first attempts at original creation turned out to be, I was bound to recognize in them an intelligence that convinced me that an exceptional, great, and profound talent was dormant in him. I therefore shrank from no effort or work in order to awaken and form it, that I might one day rear a priest of art who should preach in new accents what was sublime, true, and eternally incorruptible." Unquote. Yeah, Markson's hyperbole aside, he knew he had a compositional prodigy on his hands and insisted on teaching Brahms for free. Brahms later recalled, quote, I'll never forget how he refused to accept the heavy money bag my father had saved up for the lessons. He wouldn't take it. Yet I was to come four lessons four times a week." Unquote. It was Eduard Markson who grounded Johannes Brahms in the music of the great German-slash-Austrian tradition. Bach, Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, and Schubert. For the rest of his life, these composers were Brahms's role models, his heroes, his gods. To this list of heroes, Brahms would have included Markson himself, because it was Markson and his confidence in him that allowed this kid from the slums to blossom as a composer. When Felix Mendelssohn died in 1847, Markson said of his 14-year-old student, quote, a great master of the musical art has gone hence, but an even greater one will bloom for us in Brahms." Unquote. Sadly, the formative influence on the adolescent Brahms's personality was not the music he studied, but rather 
it was having to play piano in the brothels of Hamburg between the ages of 12 and 14. Here are the facts as we know them. In early 1846, while he was still 12 years old, Brahms's father, Johann Jakob, began to hire out his son as a pianist, playing songs and dance music in the dives around Hamburg's waterfront. According to Brahms's biographer, Jan Swafford, quote, Johannes was surrounded by the stench of beer and unwashed sailors and bad food, the din of rough laughter and drunkenness and raving obscenity. He had to accompany the body songs. He had to look at the drunken sailors fondling the half-naked singing girls. And he had to participate sometimes, too. Between dances, the women would sit the prepubescent teenager on their laps and pour beer into him and pull down his pants and hand him around to be played with to general hilarity. There may have been worse from the sailors, as Johannes was as fair and pretty as a girl." Unquote. Brahms carried with him the shame and humiliation he suffered at the hands of Hamburg's prostitutes his entire life. We can only speculate as to the degree to which his subsequent rage closed him off to meaningful relationships with women and taught him to hide his feelings from the outside world. To Brahms's presumably loving parents, Jakob and Christian, we righteously ask, what in heaven's name did you think you were doing? But, but this was the 1840s. The Brahms family was desperately poor, and it was a given that once he was able, Johannes would start playing piano for money. Without a doubt, Christian and Jakob Brahms were guilty of colossal stupidity and unbelievable ignorance. But in those days of child labor and workhouses, so was the rest of European society. Brahms's parents believed in the simple maxim that honest work could do no harm. They loved their children and provided for them as best they could. But no doubt, in sending their adored little Hannes out to the brothels to play piano, they made a singular mistake. It's no wonder that as an adult, Brahms fled from intimacy with women. No wonder he perceived female sexuality as a threat. No wonder he preferred the physical companionship of prostitutes. No wonder he could proudly claim later in life that, quote, I have never made a married woman or a Fraulein unhappy, unquote. An admirable but not entirely accurate statement, Herr Brahms. Brahms did break two female hearts during his life, those belonging to Clara Wieck Schumann, 1819-1896, and to a vivacious soprano named Agatha von Siebold, 1835-1909, to whom he was briefly engaged in 1859 at the age of 26. The one woman Brahms adored whose heart he never broke was that of his mother, 
Christiane. Mom. For Christiane Brahms, her preternaturally talented and hardworking eldest son, Johannes, born when she was 44 years old, was the apple of her eye. Fiercely protective of her undersized Hannes, she doted on him and he worshipped her. As we all should know, one need not be Jewish to be a Jewish mother. When Christiane Brahms found out, for example, in August of 1853, that her 20-year-old Johannes was going to go hiking along the Rhine, oi, there was so much to worry about. She wrote to her son, no joke, this is a real letter, quote, such steep rocks, how easily you could fall. Nestle's daughter died of a hemorrhage after such a hike. Malvina Erk was killed in Heligoland by lightning. For today, enough of these terrors. Buy a winter coat, write if you need money." Unquote. Domestic Crisis, Death, and the German Requiem Brahms moved permanently to Vienna in November of 1862, at the age of 29, where soon enough he earned both fame and fortune. But even as he was making himself at home in Vienna, all was not quiet on the home front in Hamburg. In June of 1864, Brahms's father, Johann Jakob, after years of complaining about being ganged up on and verbally abused by his now toothless and elderly wife, and his endlessly sick daughter Elise walked out and got his own place on Hamburg's Grosse Bleike. Brahms hurried back to Hamburg where he did his best to calm down his furious father and comfort his weeping, wailing mother and sister. The women were devastated and left without a source of income as Johann Jakob outright refused to support them any longer. Brahms's younger brother Fritz, uh, known in the family as the wrong Brahms, had promised to take care of their mother if their father ever left. Well, Fritz was on the Fritz and went MIA, missing in action. So it fell to Johannes to support his mother and sister, which he did for the duration of their lives. Despite the sort of recriminations such a domestic catastrophe typically brings, Brahms remained very close to his father throughout. Most likely, Brahms was the only person in the world who knew exactly what his father had endured over the years. In any case, Brahms's great friend, Clara Schumann, who had become quite friendly with Brahms's family over the years, was shocked. She wrote, quote, I should not be surprised at your standing by your father, but in this case, knowing as I have for years your preference for your mother, it is incredible to me." Unquote. Eight months later, on February 4, 1865, Christian Brahms, 76 years old, died of a stroke. Brahms again returned to Hamburg, arriving two days later. He wrote to Clara, Quote, God took my mother away as mercifully as possible. 
She has not changed at all, and looked as sweet and as kind as when she was alive." Unquote. The death of his mother, for whom he grieved mightily, acted as a catalyst for Brahms. For some time, perhaps even as far back as Robert Schumann's death nearly nine years before, Brahms had been thinking about and even sketching a piece of music that would stand as a memorial for the dead. With the death of his mother, Brahms began the piece in earnest, a composition he eventually called a German Requiem. We will pick up from here in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.